Good morning. We're continuing our series, Strong and Courageous in Joshua. This morning we're in Joshua chapter 4, which I think has been one of the most meaningful events in terms of what God asked his people to do and how they commemorated what God had done in their lives. And so it's played a big part in shaping my thinking and has influenced me over the years. So I'm, I'm very eager to talk about this this morning and uh, share it with you. I'd like to read verses one through seven of chapter four. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, take 12 stones from out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priests stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 from the people of Israel whom he had appointed, and a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the people of the tribe, tribes of Israel that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what did those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them, that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off so that these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And then at the end of the chapter, in verse 22, he says, Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over the, at, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. In his autobiography, John Bunyan, no relation to Paul, in his autobiography, Grace Abounding, John Bunyan, who was the author of the famous book, Pilgrim's Progress, uh, that was written in prison and in prison, he, he went through a very dark period. Very, he was depressed. And a verse of scripture came to his mind. And this is what he records. Look to the generations of old and see. Did ever any trust in the Lord and was confounded? And that verse brought John Bunyan tremendous encouragement and comfort. 
I became a little bit of a, you could say like a guiding star for him and led him out of his depression and discouragement. And he began to look for it in his Bible. And he looked and looked. And as he had occasion, uh, when friends would visit or pay call, he would ask them to be looking. He would share it with them. And he wanted to discover where that was. He remembered the words, but he couldn't remember that passage, you know, like, okay, for God so loved the world, but where is that found? Do you know? Well, we all know, but in this case, he didn't, and that was really disconcerting to John Bunyan. And so it was, uh, after some time, he learned that it was not in his Bible. It had been written by somebody else. And this is what he says about that. He said, at first, uh, that somewhat daunted me because it was not in those texts that we call holy and canonical. Yet, as this sentence was the sum and substance of many promises, it was my duty to take comfort of it. And I bless God for that word, for it was of good to me. That word doth still oft times shine before my eyes. He, he was writing this in the, you know, mid-1600s mid to, to late 1600s. That, that's, um, that's not far behind Martin Luther. No relation to Martin Luther King, but the founder, as you, if you will, or what we know today as Lutheranism. So John Bunyan goes way back there, and Pilgrim's Progress was one of the most popular writings next to the Bible. And he was thinking, I guess, that if, if, the, if it was in the Word, then it maybe had more power and, and would bless him or encourage him or validate the feeling of encouragement. But then he kind of worked his way. He thought his way through that. And he realized, this Word, which has encouraged me, this Word isn't in... <clears throat> the Bible, but it is, in effect, true to the word of the Bible. It, it is the, so to speak, testimony to what God, through his word, has done for me and what God is like in my life. And you could say, in a sense, that those words that encouraged John Bunyan were a monument to God's goodness that pointed John Punyon to the Lord. In fact, that monument shaped Bunyan. And it played a part, it played an important part in his book, Pilgrim's Progress. In fact, uh, Pilgrim's Progress,
progress. Maybe you had to read it in school, or maybe you heard about it, but if you did read it, you would find it's a symbolic vision of every Christian's journey, or at least one Christian's journey, to the city of God. In other words, it's a pattern, and it expresses the kinds of things that we would experience if we sought in our lifetime to, so to speak, live for Christ. It's a symbolic picture of that journey. And the main character on that trek, on that pilgrimage, is named Christian, which makes sense. And Christian comes in contact with other pilgrims, but as they make their way through difficulties, as they go through a a great valley of trial and opposition by the enemy, they, they survive that. They come out the other side and they find that earlier than they were there were other pilgrims who raised monuments to the Lord. Raised, you know, like we would think of a pile of rocks or, you know, if we didn't have anything better. But like like a grave marker of some kind is what we're more familiar with, some kind of monument that attests to what has happened there and how God was a part of it and made a difference in their lives. And in fact, one of the fellow pilgrims of Christian, after they've raised a monument of their own, he says, God has been wonderfully good to us, both in bringing us out of this valley and in delivering us from the power of this enemy. Now, I see no reason why we should ever distrust God again since he has given us such proof of his love, wisdom, power, and grace. You see, if that's kind of some measure of a monument, just as God asked his people to draw from their circumstances and erect or raise a monument to commemorate what he had done in their lives, well, then I would say every follower of Jesus Christ has monuments to make. In fact, I would say we have monuments to make. We have monuments to make. And when we look at verse 3, we recall God above. We recall the above. God spoke to them, and these words really specifically made an impact upon me. From the middle... He wants them to take evidence. Um, You know, if we were to relate it to our own experience, we may not have been crossing a literal river. But to draw upon stones from the riverbed that was dry when the people crossed over, to take those stones from their experience of something that only God could provide, or something that represented what God had done in their lives. They took those stones with them to the other side, into the promised land. And then we're told that where they lodged, those stones would be laid down. 
In other words, the reminder would be taken with them to where they live. Now, that makes a lot of sense to me. But the first and most important thing about the sense of that, to remember, to take memories with us, to bring the memories of what God has done in the difficult challenges, the the difficult challenges where sometimes we despaired of maybe God's existence or whether God really loved us. Or maybe we were fooling ourselves about this whole thing or stuff like that. Right? Well, come on. You're like me, aren't you? We have those kinds of thoughts. We don't like to admit it, especially when God shows up and we get through it and then everything's okay. And then, oh, I I never doubted him. Never had a second thought. And that is a lie. We don't need to fake it. God knows exactly who we are and what we're going through. That's how he builds our trust. And if we fake it to others, then they have to fake it too. And everybody's faking this faith. And the Lord wants us to trust him in the midst. So they take it with them, and and, and it's right there where they lodge. And you see, this is all about God. And I just wanted us to, when I say recall the above, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to have some simple ideas here. But the above in this situation reminds us that we, are, we believe in God. Now, I don't think I have to remind you that we live in a world where they don't believe in God. The world does not believe in God. I mean, the percentages are much greater. They just don't believe in God. I trust science, but science is becoming the substitute for God. I I trust a lot of things about government, but big government is becoming the substitute for God. There are lots of substitutes for God. Last week when we were in chapter 3, when God said, I am the living God, and then he named off the, the peoples, well, all the peoples that he named off, are, are they worship idols. They create their gods out of wood and earth, clay. They invest those gods with significance. And that's the battle. You see, God didn't want them going into that land of idolatry and become fools of a faith in things that don't exist. Faith in things that can't deliver. Faith in things that do not have ears or eyes or a mouth with which to speak. And I wanted us to revisit this fundamental thing. Because if you're a practicing atheist, what is meaning? What what is meaning?
I would, this is pretty simple, but it is profound. I would say meaning for people who are practicing atheists, and some practicing atheists do go to church, by the way. But if you're a practicing atheist, meaning is found in pleasure or in altruism. Pleasure would be defined as broadly as possible as seeking the well-being of myself. Now, if you say that, it's yourself, right? You got what I'm saying? I seek my own welfare, what's best for me. That would be your definition of pleasure. Altruism is a little different. It's just like turning it inside out. Altruism is that I find meaning in seeking your pleasure. What is your well-being? I serve your well-being rather than mine. But you see, those who believe in God, whole different level of meaning. And, and if that's not a part of your perception of reality, then maybe this is a day that is just primed for an adjustment in your thinking. Because the, one of the truths of our word and the teaching of our Savior from Genesis to Revelation is that there's a whole bigger plan of significance and purpose beyond just the realm of one's individual lifetime when you believe in God. There's meaning beyond my life and your life. And there's meaning that's bigger than all of that. And there is purpose to it. It's not just a cyclical kind of thing. It's not a deism where the gods just kind of, you know, he puts together the clock, he winds it up and just lets it tick, and then he goes off and does other things. And lots of people think that's kind of what's going on. We, there's, there are, there's a divinity, but he doesn't really care. No, we believe in a personal divinity, and he really does care. And that's why we're here this morning. But it's important for us to review this when it comes to God saying, what is meaningful in your life? And sometimes we don't notice how meaningful our lives are because we believe in God and we believe in Jesus Christ and we believe in a higher purpose and we believe in a plot to this whole thing. There's a plot to the story. It's not just a bunch of words and chapters and verses without any meaning, direction, or ultimate objective. Monument, a monument making is the happy task of marking God's presence, a God who cares a God who has a purpose for our lives, a God who says your life counts in a way that no one else in the world says your life counts at all. 
And more than that, your life matters to me. That's what God is saying. And we know that more definitively than at any point in the progress of God's history in the Bible through Jesus Christ. You matter to me. That is the message of God. You count in my book. And that means that our awareness of his presence in our lives is significant. It has meaning. Meaning. So when out of the crossing of this river that was impassable for you and me in some experience of our lives, we need to take a rock. You see, we need to count that and we need to place that rock somewhere where we remember what God has done for us. But so often in this world, it's just one big coincidence. And that's a crying shame that we would attribute to the presence and the activity of God in our lives and just say, dumb luck, would have happened anyway, even when he answers our prayers. How are we growing from God's work in our lives? If we make nothing of it, if we don't pause, even just a little pause, to acknowledge him and say thanks, and then to build monuments in our minds. See, gratitude builds memorials where we lodge, where we live. And we make our own meaning because there is meaning, because there is a God who loves each and every one of us and says, you count, you matter to me. So what kind of meaning are we making with this great meaning? We need to be building monuments to his presence and activity in our lives, not dumpster fires on social media. Memorials define and properly classify our experience with God. You see, this, this, requires, this requires a degree of faith, doesn't it? Anything I'm talking about, can anything I'm talking about matter without a degree of faith? And who provides the faith? Where does it come from? You see, each person provides the faith in a God that the rest of the world doesn't believe exists. Now, it is great to get together and to encourage each other. That helps generate our belief, our trust. It reminds us, reminds us. Every memory is and can be a monument 
if we are exercising our faith, if we believe what we believe. And because of that, we recall what's behind, and we see that in verse six. Let this be a sign among you. And then it goes on a little bit, and it says these very powerful words. What it means. No, wait a second. It doesn't just say what it means. Because I can stand up here and preach what it means. But the finish of the phrase is what it means to you. What it means to you. We look behind because we see better when we look behind. Have you ever noticed that? They call it hindsight. In fact, some people claim it's 2020. You see, it's not only what God has done. God has done it. It's what it means to you. That's a, that could be a life-changing question this morning for us. But only one, two, three, four. I, I, wouldn't it be great if we hit 100%? But it, can't, it depends on each one of us. Each one of us. What will you and I make of it? And that's a matter of faith. And it's a matter of seeing God at work in our lives and his presence, realizing that and making meaning of answers to our prayers and our interpretation of his action, which we can discover and validate. Because as James says, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights above. So how much good have we got to be grateful for? What do those stones mean to you? That really gets me every time. This last Thursday, I spoke at uh, a chapel, a junior high chapel. Uh, excuse me, showing my age. Middle school. Middle school chapel. And uh, there, was a, there was a young girl there. And uh, she's my granddaughter. What do you make of that? There's a lot of tearful recognition of God's activity that led up to that point. I wish I had time. I w maybe I don't even have the freedom to tell you the whole story of redemption, of salvation, of God's victory over evil, of God's hope and guiding star.
All the things that we see reflected in his word can be found in each of our lives. Are we finding it is what I'm asking. What does it mean to you? Let this be a sign among you. And when your children ask, what does it mean to you? I know what, I know what the uh, official word is, but what does it mean to you, mom? What does it mean to you, dad? What does it mean to you, friend? How real is it? How real is it? Recall also what's ahead. Because in a sense, the past, if it's meaningful, wait a second, looking at it from your standpoint, the past, if it's meaningful, affects the future. See, so what's, we look up and then we look behind because we find meaning there because of he who is above and then we look ahead because we realize that there's meaning not just in the past, but there is meaning for the future. And there's meaning in terms of our hope and our, what God's going to do and his purposes, you see? And so we read in verses 22, 3, and 4, as well as verse 7, let your children know and then those final words, so that they might fear the Lord forever. Do you know what 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 reads? I'm going to read it for you because I just don't want to leave you in suspense. It says, we are living stones. Wow, isn't that a powerful concept in light of Joshua chapter 4? We are living stones. Remember when Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 20 and following, he says we're a part of a temple building. We are stones being placed among a foundation on top of a foundation which was built on the prophets and apostles you see, we're part of a bigger structure. Life has meaning. One of the saddest places in Scripture is uh, Judges 8, 33 and 34, those two chapters. You don't have to read it all right now, but it tells us that Gideon died. You all remember Gideon? What a man of faith he became. And when Gideon died, you know what it says? It says the people forgot God. Those are sad words. When Gideon died, the people forgot God. I've had some medical things going on lately, and maybe you do too. I don't want to talk about it so much. I'm becoming, I, you know, when I was young, I would say, the older you get, the people, they just, when they get together, they just talk about 
medical staff, you know, their aches and pains. That's the topic. It's not like sporting events or something, but where are you at on that repair? And how are you recovering from that? And when's your next appointment? And so forth and so on. <laughs> well, I've had, I'm in physical therapy. Every week, twice a week, they call me. Did, have, has that happened to you? you have, I have a doctor's appointment coming up and I get a call. You, you act like you don't know what I'm talking about. They call. They want, are you, just want a friendly reminder, a friendly reminder, a friendly reminder. You have appointment in two days or whatever. I'm, I'm a little tired of it almost because I'm a responsible person. I remember on my own. But see, people today, they need to be reminded. They don't remember things. They don't even remember things that are important to them. Isn't that crazy? Our godless culture is increasingly a society that just doesn't find any meaning in anything. And this is something kind of personal that I want to emphasize, but we live in a cynical skeptical, scoffing society because of its suspicion. And it's dour, and it's increasingly negative, and people talk about a cancel culture. That's a culture of suspicion. That's a culture of the denial of meaning. You don't matter. And I don't want us as believers to become irresponsible because we don't believe in things that are important and they don't have a place in our minds even enough to remember. You see... Suspicion can never see the silver lining. We need to be the people who see the silver lining because we live in a world of meaning, because we live in a world created by our God who is a personal God who takes a personal interest in us. And things matter. Life has meaning. We have purpose so don't we become a people of suspicion. We cannot be a people of love. We cannot be a people of the gospel if we are a people of suspicion. Every time you begin to suspect somebody, you are canceling them. How can you love them? How can you believe the gospel can grip their heart? How can you be a person of hope? How can we be a light in the darkness? 
We can't. We have become the darkness. Don't let it happen. Check that. Stop that. Remember the Lord. Put your heart in his hands. Think about him. See the meaning in your life. Go back and reflect on what he's done for you. It will build your faith. And you'll walk with purpose and meaning and character into the future. And you'll be relevant in the present. And you don't need everybody else to pander to you to make it happen. Because you walk with the Lord. By recalling the Lord above, we recall what is behind. And we recall what is behind is because we believe in his hand in our lives. And all the monuments that we raise in gratitude helps us to face more boldly what's ahead. I have a vision, I mean a a mental picture that I visit. Um, Maybe you've seen uh, just imagine those green rolling hills of Ireland and you're walking across that great expanse with God and everywhere he acts in your life and you begin to just recognize more and more what God is doing in your life and so you build a monument. You build a monument. And then as you're crossing that great plain, there are thunder and fearful clouds forming ahead of you. But you look back and you can see all the monuments that you've built, dotting the landscape. And you turn back around and you forge ahead with great confidence because you realize God has been so much a part of your life. But you see, we have to build those monuments. And frankly, I believe we have monuments to build. I think we have monuments to build, together and individually. Jesus said these monuments are very important. In fact, he gave his disciples a significant monument. And that is the bread and the cup. He said, I want you to remember this on a regular basis. Remember it as often as you want to. Remember it when you need it. Remember it when you don't need it. But remember it and remember it. And remember it. And don't ever forget it. Because it is the foundation of our faith. It is the foundation of a new relationship with God. It's the foundation of a new pact or covenant between you and God. Not me. Not me and God. I mean, I I have my own. But I'm saying each one of us has to personalize these things. That's what gets me so passionate. See, you have, to, you have to do this thinking. You have to have these things in your heart. 
these convictions. This is what we call faith. Your faith and my faith. And when we come together, we celebrate this common bond that we have, this memorial that we share in the bread and the cup. So if you have your bread and cup, Not one of us is sinless enough. Not one of us is superior. We are all weak, but we thrive because he is enough. His love is sufficient. His grace is enough. Because his son is the price, the price of our lives that God paid for us to know salvation, relationship with him, new life, and all of the beautiful things that grow in our soul when we walk with God. On the, night he on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he blessed and broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. In the same way, after supper, the cup also saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. All of you drink it. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I went a little long this morning, but I was kind of riled up. So, I wasn't thinking of any one person. Sometimes I, well, most of the time when I get like that, I'm preaching to myself as well as you. So may God bless us as his word works upon our hearts and we walk with him.